Lily, you may think that as a freelancer, a job site would not be for you. Yeah, but I've just been having a look on Cision Jobs. And actually on that website, you can search for freelance and part-time opportunities. And you can also select for homeworking. Oh yeah, the search lets you look within PR or journalism jobs and then by sector, salary, job title and hours. Yeah, there's loads on there. So go and have a look. It's scissionjobs.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor and I'm Emma Wilkinson. In this series of the podcast we've been talking to journalists who've moved into writing books. This is our summer read special in which we're going to delve into the process and practicalities of writing a range of different types of book. So if you've ever wanted to know more about how you move into writing books as a journalist or how to get a book deal and concentrate on a piece of work for that long then you're definitely in the right place. So today we're speaking to Lucy Waterlow about a specific aspect of writing books, and that's ghostwriting. Lucy is an author, ghostwriter and journalist who's written for numerous titles, including The Sunday Telegraph, Daily Mail, Women's Running and OK Magazine. She's also now ghostwritten four books, including Nell McAndrew's Guide to Running, and most recently a follow-up to her first book on ultra runner Mimi Anderson called Limitless. Lucy is also a super speedy runner and an England Athletics Qualified Coach in Running Fitness. So hi Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. So I must confess, I actually met Lucy on uh, the same um, running coaching course, so that's kind of how we got to know each other and realised we were both uh, freelance journalists. Um, but um, something that Lucy's done that, that neither Emma or I have got any experience in is ghostwriting. So we're really interested in finding out about that process. So perhaps, Lucy, could you start by talking about how your first book came about and were you working as a journalist at the time? Yeah, so the first one I did was Now McAndrew's Guide to Running. So I was working, doing a lot of shifts at that time, uh, mostly at the Mail Online and other magazines like New Magazine. And I'd interviewed now quite a few times for Mail Online after she'd run the sub three she did at London Marathon. And we kind of bonded over the fact we we're both runners. And then she invited me to do her fit the launch of her fitness DVD. So I went along to that and I interviewed her again. And at that point, she was then pregnant with her second child. So we were sort of having a chat and she was saying how there's hardly anything out there about exercising pregnancy. This was about 10 years ago. And she was having a bit of an issue as some people were judging her for exercising and she wasn't kind of sure how much you should be doing. So I said, oh, why don't you do a book? If there's nothing out there, you should do something. And we could do it together. And luckily she was really on board with that. And then we realized, let's not just limit it to exercise and pregnancy, let's make it a bit broader. So it did become yeah, the whole guide to running that we ended up with, how she ran sub three, like how you can get into running, training plans. And there is a big chapter on running and pregnancy and other sort of women's issues around running too. So that's how that came about. So talk us through the, the process of doing that, that first book. Sort of how did you approach, I mean, this one was, co-authored so was it kind of sitting down and planning together how how did the process work of actually getting the book together 
Yeah, so once we decided to open up to being like a big guide, I sat down and did like a chapter outline of what we would include. Um, obviously, chat with Nell that she was happy with that. Um, and she she was also, though I am a ghost writer, she was always very upfront about the fact that she wasn't writing it. She was sort of overseeing what I had written and editing it. So that's why she was happy for me to have my, my name on the cover and take a credit, which was really lovely for me. Um, and a lot of it is... There's a lot of obviously Nell's contribution. It is about Nell's experience, but we've also got case studies in there of other runners who I interviewed. And like I said, just generally about running information and research that I'd done and different experts that I spoke to. So it wasn't just a case of ghostwriting Nell's experience. It was pulling in all the other elements as well. So in terms of how we pulled it together, we had to do, yeah, we did a chapter outline and then we then looked at a few publishers that might be interested in this kind of book. Um, one of them was Bloomsbury Sport. So we looked at what they want you to provide in order to take the book on. And it was a chapter outline, a draft first chapter, and just a proposal covering what is this book? Who will read it? What are the competing books? Uh, why are you the person that should write this book? And also one of the really important things they want to know is how can you market it? And that was one of the good things about this book, obviously with Nell fronting it with her sort of media profile, her contacts. And then on top of that, the contacts I had with freelancing in journalism, we did have quite a good position there to be able to say we can market this book well. She had a good, obviously, social media profile as well. So that's one of the things, that's one of my tips I would say is they are looking for how can you promote this book um, and who can you promote it to? And obviously this is a book about runners and we're both quite uh, involved in the running community. So we knew we'd be able to reach runners and we knew we had contacts in that running world we could promote the book to. Yeah, you've got that perfect relationship, I guess, with, like you say, with Nell's profile and then your, your background in journalism. Um, so I could see how that would come together really well. I'm just wondering when it came to actually writing the book, in terms of the tone, did you feel like you had to write in Nell's voice? How did that side of it work? Yeah, it's a bit of a mixture. So there's certain bits where it is in Nell's voice and there's other bits where it's more just explaining like the technical stuff about running. So that's not so much in Nell's voice, but just trying to keep it consistent at the same time and also sort of simplify it like you would in a journalism article because obviously some of the running stuff can be a bit technical, especially when you get down to like the sports science elements. Um, and then obviously we've got the case studies as well. So they're in their voice. So that sort of ghostwriting in a different person's voice in those elements. Um, but yeah, it was very important to try and keep the tone of voice that Nell was happy with. And, you know, if I had to phrase something a certain way, she might say, oh, I wouldn't say it like that, uh, especially with her being from Yorkshire. So there might be some like regional differences in the words I'd use and things like that. So yeah, def definitely kept it in her voice in that regard. And we just wanted it to feel like a book where you do feel like you're sat down having a chat with Nell. So in that respect, yeah, it was trying to keep it as if you are speaking to Nell and saying things the way she would say them and, you know, putting across the way she feels about running. And then the first book that you wrote about Mimi Anderson, the ultra runner, um, how did that come about and how did that process differ? Because it's a different style of book than sort of a guide. It's about her, her story. Um, so kind of 
was that a very different process with the things that you'd learned from doing the book with Nell that then you could feed into that how, how did that come about and how did it work yeah it was quite different again I managed to do it via when I was working at the mail online because I'd interviewed Mimi there for I think one of her world records or one of her ultra runs she was doing um, and again we saw the potential for a book there because she'd done so many amazing runs and just her backstory of overcoming the eating disorder and taking up running when she was in her 30s and going on to achieve the amazing things she did. So, yeah, we knew there was a lot of potential there for a book, but it was also quite different. This book, when I approached it, is more like a, a fiction book, really, than a non-fiction book in terms of you're not doing the different chapters on different subjects like we were with the running guide. It was her story and it needed to flow like a fiction book to keep people interested. Um, so that's why we decided we'd focus it on when she did the world record of where she ran, um, what did she do, John O'Groats to Land's End and the fastest time for a female. So we decided to break it up into that um, from start to finish. So you've kind of got the, the hook there of, is she going to do it? Obviously, if you already knew that she'd done it, then some people would know. But the idea was you didn't know beforehand if she actually got this record so that you'd read the book and have that kind of excitement building about whether she would get the record or not. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a bit more daunting doing that one because it was just totally her story. And like I say, trying to keep the interest from start to finish. And also there's so many different elements to pull in of her backstory of the eating disorder and how she took up running. And she's done so many different races, like pulling in the different races without it getting too repetitive. So like I say, with that, we decided to focus on the, the, the Great Britain world record attempt and then just pull in different elements as it went along. So it does kind of jump backwards and forwards in time. Um, in, times of, in terms of planning that, I just kind of broke it down into each chapter and just thought each chapter is like a different journalism article, which I found much more manageable rather than thinking I've got to write, you know, 80,000 words. I was thinking I've just got to write each chapter and then break it down that way. Yeah, I think I think that's what a lot of people in this series have said, is like taking it a chapter at a time. Mm -hmm. Do you have a certain technique, though, of like planning the overall sort of narrative of the book? And, you know, would you map that out in advance? And, and how would you do that? I mean, would you physically like, I don't know, have something written on a board or in a in a document? how do you sort of put it, all the structure together yeah I had it all written out in a, a word document so at the very start we plan out sort of how the book is going to work so we had uh, a prologue which was sort of the prologue in the first book is you're actually with Mimi when she's nearly at the end of the record attempt and it's very much on a knife edge whether or not she's going to do it and then we go back to the start of uh, attempting the record so that's then the next chapter is the start and then we then pulled in how she then got into running. Um, so the main thread of that is the journey of her going from Land's End, uh, John O'Groats to Land's End and then pulling in the different elements along the way. So yeah, we planned that out all in a document beforehand about where the different elements would come in. And then on Limitless, that was a bit easier because she, uh, she was then doing the record attempt across America. So with that, we just broke it up into two parts. So the first part was the journey across America and we broke that down into the different states. So each chapter was a, the different state she ran through. And then the second part was the aftermath of that record attempt and what she did next. 
Um, and that was actually, she got into triathlon. So then we did chapters on swimming and cycling and also then obviously the triathlon race that she did. So that one was a bit easier to break down because it was a bit more chronological order of the America run and then her getting into triathlon. And obviously for something like that, you are writing it in, in her voice. So how are you doing a series of interviews over time? Are you doing kind of other things to get to know each other better? How do you go about um, kind of finding out about enough about her story to be able to tell it in this really detailed way? Yeah, so with Mimi, we did meet up quite a few times um, face-to-face, and that was a good way just to sort of get to know one another. So I would say it's really important in ghostwriting that you do have that rapport and that they trust you. Because um, <clears throat> with Mimi's story, she's obviously telling me quite a lot of very personal stuff and a lot of stuff that's still very like raw and emotional to her with her background with the eating disorder and um, a situation that she had with her nanny, which was a bit of child abuse, so... That was something that was very important to speak to her about face to face rather than over Zoom. Um, so that's how initially we did it. And then when we got onto Limitless, we actually had no choice to do it over Zoom because that was when the pandemic hit. So I think it did really help that we'd already had the rapport set up from the first book. But then when we did it over Zoom for the second book, it did work well because we already knew each other and we'd already done the first book. So we knew how it worked and, and I, she knew she could trust me to tell her story and her voice at that point so yeah so Limitless was all over Zoom and then I would send her we'd work I'd work on a chapter I'd send it over to her she would edit it while I would then move on to the next chapter and yes we did a lot of Zoom calls a lot of then emails back and forth checking other details and also it did help with Limitless that she kept a really detailed log of the trip across America and she had blog posts um, and, and yeah, a logbook of everything she'd done. So that was a really good reference for me that I could see how far she'd run each day, what the weather was like and all that kind of stuff. So that was really useful information. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, like, do you end up getting sent kind of diary entries and all those other kind of, you know, do you need to do your fact checking? And because people's memories might not be quite right of dates and things. So if you do you need to kind of check, you know, have those documents and can you send me any emails and all that kind of thing as well? Yeah, so I had all of that. And then with the American, I also spoke to members of her crew because obviously there were some things that they were seeing that Mimi wasn't seeing because she was running all the time. So, yeah, really useful information from the crew and the sort of things that happened with them behind the scenes to keep the, the record attempt on track. But again, Mimi wasn't involved in because she was running at that point. And then also we went back and looked at all the social media at the time she was doing the America run just to see what was happening. Um, and yeah, jogging Mimi's memory, because obviously it did get a bit repetitive for her, all the, the running she was doing every day for like 50 odd days. So going back for her and just refreshing her memory of what happened. And the good thing about with the record attempts, she needed so much evidence to prove if she got the record or not to give to Guinness, that there was so much information that was there for me to look at because they'd had to compile it all to give us evidence for the record. So that was really useful that I had all that. And like I say, I had the crew to speak to and obviously all Mimi's information as well. And then along the way, they're also doing like little videos of her, which are on social media, so I could go and watch those as well. So I was able to create quite a good picture of what it was like without physically being there myself. It sounds like it's quite a long process as well, if, if you're sort of charting, um, you know, her trying to do this record attempt and obviously all the, the 
the background research that goes into it. So with with the books that you've you've ghostwritten, like sort of how long have they taken and have you been juggling other work alongside them? Yeah, um, the first couple, when I was doing Nelma Kanja and then the Run Mummy Run book and Mimi's first book, I was still doing shifts at the same time, but I did cut back on the number that I did. So I'd have a couple of days doing shift work and then a couple of days where I'd focus on the book. Um, and then when it got to Limitless, I was actually pregnant at that point. So I was cutting back on commuting anyway. And then like I say, then the pandemic hits where everything was work from home. So with that one, I did just completely focus on Limitless. So I think with the first three, we had about four to six months writing time, but Limitless, because I was pregnant again, we did have to cut things back because we wanted to make sure that we got it written before I had the baby because I wasn't going to be able to work with a newborn. So that one, I think we ended up writing that in about three months. And then we had the editing process, which normally would take a couple of months. But again, we condensed that right down um, just to fit in the time frame of my due date. And luckily it did. She was a week early, but we did manage to get it done. So I just had one editing where I had to like juggle breastfeeding whilst <laughs> doing that. But yeah, it, it is definitely doable to do when you're working in another job but I think it depends on how much other time you've got around that um, and also yeah how much time they can give you to do it and yeah just how much you can focus on the time that you do have available because I found I did need uh, like a decent chunk of time to be able to sit down and really focus and sort of get in the zone which you can't always do um, if you've only got like a spare hour here or there. Yeah, especially I think because if you're trying to get things from all different sources and kind of try and get in the sort of, you know, writing from Mimi's point of view, I guess that's very different from sitting down and writing, you know, bashing out a feature in in an hour. You probably do need that headspace yeah, to, definitely. to make it Yeah, work. and that's how it did different from the guides to running because those ones you could quite easily sort of jump in and jump out about writing about the different things because it was about different topics whereas like I say with the Mimi ones because you were having to get into her voice and into the flow of what she's doing and there's a bit more emotion involved um yeah it, I did find I needed a decent amount of time to sort of do the research and then actually sort of get into her voice to actually write that and so with the Mimi one and also the Run Mummy Run were they with Bloomsbury as well and uh, no they were all with Summersdale um so I think, yeah, I think with the, the first Mimi one, it didn't really fit with Bloomsbury because they tend to do more um, guides. And this one was obviously more of a story and oh well, it's a memoir. So it didn't, it wasn't the right fit for them. And then I'd seen the, some other books that Summerdale have done that were very similar to Mimi's. So I could see that they were a good fit. So we approached them and luckily yeah, they agreed and they wanted to take it on. Um, so that's another thing I would say is sort of do your research on the publishers and who publishes the kind of book that you want to publish, because um, that will save you a lot of time and a lot of knockbacks if you sort of approach the wrong person who's not going to publish the type of book you've got. Um, it'll save you a lot of time if you can really just target the ones that do have the kind of books that's similar to yours. Yeah. And was that um, in terms of getting the contract, was that a similar process or kind of once you've proven that you can do this and you've got a book does that make it easier to then go to a publisher with an idea um and sort of get them to trust that you can do this and deliver on it 
Yeah, I think it did because um, the Mimi, the first Mimi, but we did approach a few publishers and we had a few knockbacks before we did find the right fit for that. Um, and that was Summersdale. And then the Run Mummy Run book I then took to Summersdale. And I think it did help that they knew I'd already done the Mimi book. So yeah, they knew that, you know, what I was like and that I'd deliver it on time and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think it does help once you've sort of got your foot in the door, it makes it a lot easier to then get other books off the ground. And the same, once we'd done the first Mimi book, they obviously knew there was scope for a second book and then they were happy to take that on as well. Yeah, and it's interesting that you've gone um, direct to um, the publishers, because I know some people go through an agent um, and some people don't. Um, one thing though, as part of all that, what I'm wondering, and I guess what a lot of our listeners would be wondering is, how does it work in terms of the royalties when you're ghostwriting with someone else? Because obviously you're putting in like most of the effort in terms of writing, yet it's it's their story and their kind of brand that's going to sell the book. So how does that work? Yeah, that's something you've definitely got to establish like from the outset and sort of having writing as well. So with all the people I've worked with, we've agreed that everything would be 50-50. So we just split everything straight down the line because that seemed to be the fairest way. Because like I say it's it's their story and I wouldn't be writing it if it wasn't for them. But then they wouldn't be getting it out there if it wasn't for me because I'm the one that is actually sat down typing it all up and yeah, doing the majority of the work. So we did all agree. Everyone I've worked with has been sort of brilliant about agreeing it should be an equal 50-50 split. And I could say also... Nell and with Leanne with the Run Mummy Run book, very generous about letting me have credit um, and not to sort of, and that, <clears throat> actually Mimi would have been happy for me to be on the front cover as well, but that was a, a call from uh, Summersdale just to not have Mimi Anderson, you know, some of the ghostwritten books underneath with whoever the ghostwriter is. So they were happy to do that on the inside cover, but on the actual front cover, they wanted to keep it just Mimi Anderson because they thought that would help it sell better which we both agreed would be fine because we'd rather take their advice on what would sell best. <laughs> yeah, and do you, um, over time, you must have developed a lot of uh, sort of expertise in this ghostwriting process. Has it changed how you approach it? Do you think <clears throat> you're more efficient at it now when it came to Limitless? Would, did that process look very different to perhaps when you first started out, just in terms of, you knowing I suppose what the end <laughs> what how to get to that end product yeah I think Limitless was yeah I said we were under pressure with Limitless because of uh, my pregnancy so that did mean I was having to yeah work um, a bit more faster than I was previously and I think it helped I'd already established the rapport with Mimi so we hadn't had to do all the getting to know you stuff we could just jump straight in and obviously already knew her backstory so if she referred to something I wouldn't have to then go over that because I already knew, <clears throat> knew what she was talking about because we covered that before. Um, and yeah, I probably did get quicker at working just because, yeah, I was used to being in her voice at that point because I'd already done the previous book. Um, and probably a bit more confident with what I was doing as well. Um, I guess with the first book, sometimes I'd be writing something, I might be thinking, oh, is Mimi going to like this? And I'm not sure, I'll wait and see. Whereas when it got to the second book, I'd be like, yeah, I know how Mimi feels about me saying this, so it's fine, I can go ahead and say it. So, yeah, it's definitely more confident writing by the second book. 
And you've got this uh, Run Mummy Run book as well. So can you tell us a bit more about that one and how that came about? Yes, yeah, so I don't know if you've heard, but Run Mummy Run is this amazing Facebook community. They've got thousands of members and that was set up by Leanne Davis a few years ago. Um, and that was actually when we were promoting the Nell McAndrew book, um, we contacted her and we did an event where we sort of, uh, we led some of the ladies on a run and then we did um, like a Q&A with Nell. Um, and at that point I, I got to know Leanne. I said, actually, you've got real potential for a book as well because there's so much in your community that um, people could learn from if they want to start running because it is very much about inspiring women to run and supporting them to run and overcoming a lot of the issues that they face that men don't always face to start running. Um, and I was sort of looking at the Facebook page quite a lot um, in the build up to that event. And um, the women on there are amazing. There's some really inspiring stories and there's some really humorous stories. So every time I was reading the post, I was just thinking this would make a really good book and it'd be good to share this with more people. So that's how that came about. And again, luckily, Dan was really on board with doing that and loved the idea of having a book. Um, so it does really sort of promote the community, but also if you're not already familiar with the community, it's just another guide to running, which will really help you get into running if you're just starting out. Um, it has lots of stories from people in the Run Mummy Run group already. And I think what, again, really helped get uh, the publishers to take this one on was the fact that the community was already so well established and had so many members in this Facebook group already. That was an instant base to sell the book to. So that was really appealing to them that they knew once this book was published, there's all these women out there that would love to read it. Yeah, and I think I think I've definitely got the sense from you that you're really good at kind of spotting a good story, like what would make, you know, something that people want to read about. And I, you know, that just comes from your journalistic background that you're really good at kind of spotting these. Oh, that, you know, that would be a great idea for a book. What advice can you give on kind of knowing that you have a story that I guess for our journalist readers that's not just a feature that's big enough that you've got enough there that there would be enough material to to take that to kind of the full book I think what you'd have to do is break it down and do like a chapter outline of how this story could become a book so where would it start where would it end what would be in the middle what sort of kind of narrative are you going to have to keep people interested from start to finish? Um, and yeah, who would this appeal to? Who would want to read this story and why? Which again, I think definitely does come from journalism because that's all the stuff that you do in a feature and all the stuff you do when you're looking for features. So if you have got that journalistic background, I think it's just looking at, especially if you've come, I did a lot of real life stories for magazines. So if you've got a real life story that you've just done an article for, maybe looking at the potential around, you know, how could this be bigger? How can I expand on this and put in more of the story in order to make it into a book? And do you think ghostwriting, I mean, sorry, I was just gonna say, Lily, do, do you think ghostwriting is an area where it's useful to have a niche? Because, you know, yours are all that running. Does it does it help you to kind of hone in on those stories? And I think Lily's laughing because she might have just been about to <laughs> ask the exact same question. She's nodding at me. Yeah. Does it, does it help um, you to have that specific niche? Yeah, I think not necessarily because, say, in journalism, um, when I've worked at different news outlets, I've covered all kinds of stuff from, you know, politics, showbiz, running. 
I think I've just honed in on the running because that's what interests me the most and what I'm the most passionate about. So that probably comes across when I'm trying to sell the books to the publishers and um, to get people to buy the books. So I think if you're a journalist that covers everything, then you don't necessarily need a niche. But then on the other hand, if you do have a niche, I think it also helps because that proves, you know, you are the right person to write this book because you know so much about it and you are so interested about it and passionate about it, which I think really does make a big difference. Um, but yeah, if you don't have a niche, I don't think you have to sort of rush out and find one. But if you do have a niche, then definitely capitalise on it um, because it will help. So do you think you're going to carry on writing, running books and ghostwriting or, or will you perhaps move into other areas? Yeah, it's definitely something I want to keep doing. My issue at the moment is time because I've got two young children now. So I haven't got the time to actually write a book at the moment, but I've definitely got ideas of ones that I do want to do in the future. So I'm hoping once they're both at school, that's something I can do. And yeah, definitely, I think I will keep on the running side because like I say, that's what most interested me because that's the other thing. When you are writing a book and it's like 80,000 words, it's got to be something that you're interested in because if you're going to be bored, then uh, your readers are going to get bored because they're just going to switch off if you're not keeping that passion in there. So yeah, definitely I'd like to keep on the running side, yeah, different running stories out there, or even now I've gone into coaching, like doing something on the coaching side, um, I think could be a good idea in the future. So yeah, I've got lots of ideas, but in the minute I'm just having to sort of park them until I've got more time to actually do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, do you, do you feel that people come to you now? Do, do you kind of get known for writing about this area and do people kind of think oh would you write about my story do they you know do they come to you and ask you yeah I have had a, a couple like that um and it has been a bit difficult at the moment because like I said I just don't have the time to be able to do it but yeah there's definitely people that in the future I hope I might be able to work with if uh, they, they've been patient waiting for me um yeah and I hope other people might come to me in the future as well if they've got a good story that's running related but yeah, I think I do, yeah, because I've had all the background with the running books and I'm a running myself, that yeah, it does definitely help that, yeah, people know that they can come to me if they do have that kind of story. Yeah, you get you get known for that because, you know, word, word spreads and your contacts as well just make yeah. that, make a difference there. Um, so yeah, before we bring this episode to a close, we wanted to ask for your top tip for getting published or grabbing the attention of a publisher if if our, any of our listeners are out there thinking you know I, I think I'd be quite good at this I think I'd be quite good at ghostwriting I'm interested what what would where do they get started um yeah definitely got to start with the idea and obviously if you are ghostwriting you need to have the person that you're going to be ghostwriting with on board so you know if there is someone you think does have a good story then you know just approach them and say would you be interested in doing a book with me because it might be something that they have always wanted to do, but because they're not confident writing themselves, they've just never been able to do it. So they could be sat there waiting for you know someone to come along and say, I'd love to write your book. So you never know unless you try. So I definitely, if you think there's someone out there you could write about, then contact them and see what they think. Um, I think, as I said before, it's definitely important to be passionate about what you're writing about, because if you can sell it to the publisher and sell it to people that are going to read it because you're passionate about it you're going to make them be passionate about it too um, believe in yourself and why you are the right person to write this book um, 
why you should be writing it over somebody else because you know it's a competitive market there's a there are a lot of writers out there and there are a lot of books out there so why are you the person to do it and how can you make it stand out and also don't give up because again it is competitive and like with the Mimi book we did get a few knockbacks before we found the right fit with the publisher so if you do get a few no's don't give up keep trying and keep looking for a different publisher until you find the one that will take you on. Yeah there's lo- there's lots of parallels there with pitching aren't there of yeah, just definitely. kind of trying to find the right home and just trying to maybe try a different angle or a different way of um yeah kind of approaching something so yeah you, yeah it's you definitely a very similar to yeah. journalism if you've been doing it as a freelance journalism it's just basically doing what you already do on a bigger scale so yeah if you're already doing it as a freelance journalist you've got all those skills it's just transferring them then to doing it for books instead of doing it for articles yeah definitely do you know what I found this really inspiring because there's someone I've always wanted to ghostwrite a book for I've just quickly googled him and I've noticed someone did write a book with him but it was back in 2009 so I'm going to have a, a bit more of a a dig around because I used to write loads and loads of articles about this guy when I was um uh reported down in Wiltshire so um yeah I'm definitely gonna dig into that and I, yeah I think, go for it yeah it's been been so helpful today loads of really useful advice and just all the stuff around you know approaching publishers as well I think that'll be um really um useful for our listeners so so thank you so much yes yeah, obviously you can go down the agent route but um I found with the agents, you're having to approach them with the proposal, the chapter outline, the draft chapter. So all the things that I was already doing to go direct to the publisher. So that's why I thought just cut out the middleman and go straight to the publisher. But um, you you might get a better deal with an agent is something to consider, but then also you will have to give them a cut of the royalty. So it's weighing up really, if you think you need the agent or not. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think what we've learned over this series is there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer. You just need to know the different options and kind of weigh up those those pros and cons for the situation that you're Definitely. in, which is also reassuring because, you know, it just there are lots of different ways to to approach writing a book. And it's so just... Definitely, yeah. yeah. And also I think it's about the time you have too. So I think in the future, I might need an agent just because it saved me a lot of time, you know, contacting people, firing mm. out those emails. Um, and also they they've got more contacts as well yeah yeah they're definitely pros and cons I think to both yeah brilliant well that is an excellent place to finish so Lucy thank you so much for joining us today and we can't wait to see what you do next great thanks for having me yeah no you're very welcome and don't forget everyone you can find out more about us and all of our resources at freelancingforjournalists.com and you can come and join our freelancing for journalists facebook community We'll also put all of Lucy's books into the show notes of this episode uh, so you can go and check those out. And just remember, on social media, we're at Freelancing4 and you can also follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And big thanks, as ever, to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and producer, Maddie Drury. So we hope you've enjoyed this series and we will be back again soon. Goodbye for now. Bye.